Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, as we continue our series on the workplace today, I want to borrow a line from a famous speech, and then I want to apply it to your relationship with your boss. Okay, your relationship with your boss. Now, here's the speech. It took place on January 20th, 1961. It was the inauguration of the 35th president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. And Kennedy knew that he had to deliver a really good and a really short speech. Okay, it had to be really good because a a portion of the American public didn't trust him as a leader yet. He was the youngest guy ever elected to the job. Uh, He had won the election by one of the narrowest margins in history. And so his speech had to be really good. Also had to be really short because eight inches of snow had fallen on Washington, D.C. the night before. It was a chilly 20 degrees out. Uh, People were dressed with, you know, coats and scarves and hats, and they were still freezing. So the speech had to be short. Well, Kennedy knocked it out of the park. It was a powerful speech. In fact, the next day, a national poll showed that 75% of the American public was now impressed with their new president, had a favorable view of him. And ringing in their ears was the most famous line from this most famous speech. Ask not what your country can do for you. Finish it with me. Ask what you can do for your country. Now I said I'd apply this to your relationship with your boss. Here it is. Ask not what your boss can do for you. Ask what you can do for your boss. Brilliant, isn't it? Some of you are not so sure. But stop and think about it for a moment. You know, all of us who work for a boss, there are things we'd like from our boss. We'd like a little more pay. We'd like some time off. You know, we'd like to be recognized for our achievements. We'd like an interest taken in our personal and career development. But have you ever stopped to consider that there are things your boss would like from you? So ask not what your boss can do for you. Ask what you can do for your boss. Welcome to week three of this four-part workplace series. I want you to turn with me. We've been in the book of Daniel. So turn to Daniel chapter four. And we're going to see how this Old Testament character looked out for the interests of his boss, King Nebuchadnezzar of ancient Babylon. And if ever there was a person who had the right to despise his boss, it was Daniel. Just a a quick review of the last couple of weeks, Daniel worked for a tyrant. And when I say tyrant, I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean literally a tyrant. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the superpower of the day. The Babylonians had invaded Daniel's homeland of Judah, southern Israel, destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem and carried Daniel and other prominent citizens as hostages back to Babylon. Daniel was in his late teens, maybe early 20s at this time. He was forced to go through Nebuchadnezzar's leadership training program, and afterward he was given a job he couldn't refuse as one of King Nebuchadnezzar's royal advisors. So if you think you've got a bad boss 
Daniel's was twice as, uh, twice, 10 times as worse. And yet Daniel knew something that the management gurus at Harvard Business School are only recently discovering. According to an article I read not too long ago in Harvard Business uh, Magazine Review, the most successful employees, now listen, are those who make a significant effort to serve their bosses well. The most successful employees are those who make a significant effort to serve their bosses well. It's not enough, according to this article, to pay attention to your own job. It's not enough to assume that you can be personally successful while not getting along with your boss. It's not enough to leave the responsibility for a good relationship on your boss's shoulders. No, it's critical for you it's critical for you to take the initiative for making this partnership work. So how do you do that? Well, if I were to sum up the Harvard Business Review article in one line, it would be uh, find out what your boss needs from you and do your best to provide it. Let me say that again. Find out what your boss needs from you and do your best to provide it. Now, as we study the life of Daniel today and his relationship with his boss, I want you to keep in mind your boss, okay? Because you're gonna, you're gonna be applying what you learned today to your relationship with your boss. So who's your boss? Maybe it's the person you directly report to. That's who it is for most of us. Oh, if you're a high school student, uh, you have many bosses. They're called teachers, all right? If you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, the bossiest people in your life are your kids, especially if they're three years old and younger, right? You got a boss. You may own your own business, but you still have a boss. It may be your number one customer. It may be the chairman of your small board. You know, even if you're retired, and, and by the way, if you retire, it doesn't mean you never work again. I hope if you're a Christ follower, you recognize that your life is one of productive work. Even in retirement, you're looking for opportunities to serve your local church or serve in your community, which means there's probably going to be somebody you're reporting to. So keep your boss in mind, you know, as we ask the question, what does your boss need most from you? Here are three answers to that question from the life of Daniel. If you're taking notes, there's a note section in the app. You can follow along, fill it in as we go. What your boss needs most from you, number one, a God connection. Your boss needs a God connection. And we're going to pick up the story in Daniel 4, beginning at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
Some of you are saying, wait a second, this is a familiar passage. This sounds like the very same passage that Pastor Clayton preached from last weekend. Well, that's because this is the second dream Nebuchadnezzar has had. Now, if you recall last week, we were in Daniel 2. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He pulls together his royal advisors. He says, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. And nobody could. And he said, okay, I'll kill you. So Daniel, one of the royal advisors, he says, well, wait a second, king. And he hustles back to his three amigos and he says, buddies, we got to get get on our knees. We got to pray about this. We need an interpretation to the king's dream. So they prayed. And that night, God gave Daniel a vision of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream interpretation. So the next day he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, this is what your dream was. This is what your dream means. And he nailed it. And Nebuchadnezzar is really impressed. He thinks that Daniel's some kind of a rock star. And Daniel says, no, no, let me give credit where credit is due. I am not amazing, but my God is amazing. My God is the revealer of mysteries. And I got the the interpretation to your dream because I got on my knees and I prayed and God answered my prayer. Well, Nebuchadnezzar started talking up the God of Daniel to others. He wanted everybody to know that Daniel's God was nothing less than spectacular. Well, a short time later, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Daniel chapter 4, we just read it. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what does the dream mean? So he calls in his royal advisors. Verse 7 lists them as magicians, enchanters, astrologers, diviners. And you say, well, why does he go back to this group of knuckleheads? Why doesn't he just go to Daniel? Well, the fact of the matter was they weren't considered knuckleheads. Okay, these were wise counselors. In fact, these were brilliant scientists. For example, the astrologers, yeah, they looked for messages superstitiously in the stars. But historians tell us they were were brilliant scientists. These guys studied the heavens and so predicted uh, lunar and solar eclipses. Uh, They had calculated the length of a year as being 365 days and were within 27 minutes of what we know the length of a year to be today. So they were really, really smart guys. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in, tells them his dream, asks for its interpretation, but these really smart guys got nothing. They have no idea what the king's dream means. So then he calls in Daniel. Now, why does Nebuchadnezzar have a hunch that maybe Daniel will will succeed where the others have failed? Well, it's got something to do with what he says in the middle of verse nine. Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, now listen, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And that phrase, by the way, pops up three times in Daniel chapter 4. I've told you before, when you're reading the Bible and you come across an idea or a phrase that, that, that pops up multiple times, pay attention to it. See, Daniel was known, listen, he was known as a guy who had a connection with Almighty God. Do you have that kind of a reputation in your workplace as as the person who has a God connection? Are are you known as the person who prays and gets answers to prayers, or are you known as the person who's always voicing your political opinion, or who's always complaining, 
or who rarely lifts a hand to help others in your workplace, who, who arrives late and leaves early. What, what, what's your reputation at work? When Daniel's name came up at Nebuchadnezzar's palace, people said, oh yeah, he's the guy who's got the spirit of the gods in him. And don't forget why they said that about Daniel. It's because he had prayed. He had prayed for an interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and God had answered his prayer. Daniel was a prayer. Are you known to be a a prayer? You know, you wanna know what your boss needs most from you, whether your boss realizes, realizes it or not, your boss needs a prayer. Your boss needs somebody who's got the ear of Almighty God. Sue and I just finished another round of canning hunger in our, in our neighborhood. So two or three times a year, uh, we send word out. Uh, we've got the email address of everybody on our, on our block, and we let them know that we're gonna be coming by with our little red wagon before the week is out. We're collecting canned goods for the local food pantry. Now, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to care for the poor and the needy, but uh, we also do it because it's just a wonderful way to get to know your neighbors. Gives you an excuse to ring their doorbell and have a conversation with them. And so as we're having these conversations over the course of collecting their canned goods, we're listening for things we can pray about. And so this last time around, last week, we learned about someone switching jobs and someone whose mom had just died and someone who's working on a PhD dissertation and kind of stuck right now, somebody who's got a new baby. And so we, we let them know we're gonna be praying for you and we make the offer, hey, can we pray for you right now? And even the next day when we send a follow-up email and say, hey, here's how many pounds of food we collected because we know people like to hear results and we always collect like over 200 pounds of food. We also say, and don't forget, we love to pray for people. So if there's anything we could pray about for you, just let us know. See, we wanna be the God connection in our neighborhood. What if you took that sort of attitude to work? What if you became known in your workplace as the person who prays? What what if we listened empathetically to the concerns of our bosses, our coworkers, the IT guy who gets our, our computer up and running again, the receptionist, the maintenance people? We listened carefully and then we we volunteered to pray for them. What if God occasionally answered our prayers in some amazing way? I I was talking to a a new friend the other day, a Christ follower, and she was on her way to work. And I said, what do you do for a living? She smiled. She said, oh, I'm the the paint lady at Sherwin-Williams. I said, really, what does the paint lady do? And she said, well, I help people find just the right color for, you know, the room that they're painting. And then she broke into a big smile and she said, I gotta tell you what happened to me the other day. Several weeks back, a guy came up to my counter and he was kind of limping and looked in in pain and had this discouraged expression on his face. And I said, are you okay? And uh, he said, no, I've got this chronic pain problem. I think it's uh, arthritis, something like that. And he said, I'm a bit discouraged because I've just got a new job and I'm not sure I'm physically up for it. And she said, would you mind if I pray for you? And he said, sure. And so she said, I prayed for him. 
Now, last week, he comes walking into my shop again up to my counter, and he's got a smile on his face, and he looks in pretty good shape. And so I dare to ask him, I say, are, are, you, are you healed? And he smiles, and he goes, yeah, I am. She says, it's the most dramatic answer to prayer I've ever seen. You know, what your boss needs, what your workplace needs, is somebody with a God connection. Needs somebody who knows how to pray. You know, I love to pray for bosses. You know, people who are in boss situations, uh, who come to Christ Community Church. I pray for hires that they're making. I pray for uh, personnel decisions. Uh, pray for uh, against litigation, uh, you know, spurious lawsuits. Pray for more customers. Pray for, we've got a team, actually, that goes out. If you've got a workplace that is open to having a team from Christ Community come, and just pray over your workplace. We're willing to do that. How about you be a prayer in your workplace? How about you daring to go to the boss, assuming your boss won't think you're sucking up, and saying, I love to pray for people in my life. you got a lot on your plate. How can I pray for you? What does your boss need most from you? Number one, your boss needs a God connection. Number two, your boss needs loyalty. Loyalty. Back to Daniel chapter four. Uh, Daniel is asked by his boss to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which was actually a nightmare. Daniel hesitates. Why? Well, he hesitates because the interpretation is not good news. It's a foreboding message from God for Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. What does loyalty look like? There are three aspects of Daniel's loyalty to his boss I see in this part of the story. The first is concern, genuine concern. God gives Daniel a terrifying message for his boss, and Daniel hesitates to deliver it. Why? Because he doesn't want to devastate his boss. Be because he truly is concerned for the dude. Can you believe this? <laughs> Daniel is concerned for Nebuchadnezzar, the tyrant who had devastated his homeland, carried him off into captivity and forced him into a job he didn't want. And yet Daniel seemed to truly care for this guy. He wasn't eager to deliver the bad news. He had no desire to cut Nebuchadnezzar down to size. He was deeply troubled by what the king was about to face. In the Harvard Business Review article that I cited earlier, the author encourages readers to empathize with their bosses. The author says, and I quote, at a minimum, you need to appreciate your boss's goals and pressures, his or her strengths and weaknesses. What are your boss's organizational and personal objectives? What are the pressures on him, especially those from his boss and others at his level? So what do you know about your boss's goals? What do you know about your boss's challenges? What do you know about your boss's stressors? Simply showing concern for these things communicates a sense of loyalty. I care about you. 
I want the best for you. A second way in which Daniel showed his loyalty to his boss was with his commitment. Commitment. Look at the last half of verse 19 again. You know, Daniel says here, you know, gee, King, I, I only wish that the bad news wasn't about you. I, I wish it was about your enemies, your, your adversaries. You hear what Daniel's saying here? I'm on your team, boss. I got your back. You, you'll never... You'll never overhear me dissing you to others. You'll never see me siding with the people who make your life miserable. I'm for you, and I'm against your enemies. Listen, friends, there, there, there isn't a boss on the planet who wouldn't be encouraged with a similar expression of commitment. Now, some of you are, are thinking, but how can I be committed to a boss who's not even a Christ follower? I mean, does, doesn't share my Christian values, my Christian convictions, my Christian priorities. Well, somehow Daniel managed to do that for a succession of pagan bosses for 70 years and still maintain his faith convictions. And there are others in Scripture you know, people like Joseph, Pharaoh's right-hand man. People like Nehemiah, like Esther, who worked alongside a pagan boss for a long period of time. Someone who didn't share their love for the one true God and managed to serve them faithfully, committedly. A third way in which Daniel showed his loyalty to his boss, compliments. Back to Daniel chapter 4, we're now, now ready to start into Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's dream focused on this huge tree. We pick the story up in verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Daniel seems genuinely pumped up about describing Nebuchadnezzar in glowing terms. He enthusiastically sings his boss's praise. Now, let's be honest for a moment here. Bosses are not typically the objects of our praise. More often than not, bosses are the objects of derision or complaint or bad jokes or gossip. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we opened this series, I showed you a Dilbert cartoon. Dilbert works in an office for a boss who's a real loser. And Scott Adams, who's Dilbert's creator, he says, I will never run out of material for my comic strip because I get 200 emails a day from people whose bosses are clueless. So let me show you another Dilbert cartoon. Take a look at this one. The boss says, you know, my laptop computer is, is locked up. Can you help? Dilbert replies, well, remember, you have to hold it upside down and shake it to reboot. The boss says, oh, oh that's right. Dilbert's friend says, I wonder if he'll ever realize we gave him an Etch-a-Sketch. That's <laughs> a clueless boss. And it's easy to find reasons to diss the boss. But Daniel found reasons to pay his boss compliments. As I was working on this point in my sermon this week, this is the honest to goodness truth. I'm working on this point at my desk and my phone dings 
and I say I've got a text message, and I read the text message, and I break into a smile because it's a wonderful illustration of the point I'm making here. It's from one of the guys on my staff, and he's thanking me as he recalls that three years ago at this very time of year, I had invited him to help me lead a, a team, a trip to Israel. And so he writes in his text, he says, thanks again for that specific ministry opportunity and for all the other ones that I've had in my almost 16 years here. If Christ's community weren't the place it is, I know I wouldn't still be in ministry. I love and appreciate you and working for you. Wow. Like that text will put wind in my sails for weeks. Really? When was the last time you paid your boss a genuine compliment? You know, we sort of expect our bosses to do that for us, right? To publicly recognize us when we've met some goal, to give us positive feedback in our annual performance evaluation, you know, to speak positively of us in front of our coworkers. But does it ever occur to us that the boss would love to hear some of that same stuff from us? Okay, loyalty, loyalty. We demonstrate it with empathetic concern, with I've got your back commitment. I mean, there may be times when we need to go toe-to-toe with the boss. There may may need to be times when we stand up for, for our principles, but our boss knows we're in their corner. Does your boss know that, that you're in his or her corner? And encouraging compliments. Loyalty, number three. What does your boss need most from you? A God connection, loyalty, number three, honest feedback. Now we get to the bad part of the dream and its interpretation. And uh, it goes on for a number of verses, so I won't read it all to you. I'll just give you a summary. So Daniel is explaining this dream. And in this dream, there's this tree, this magnificent, big, beautiful tree, a tree that represents Nebuchadnezzar himself, and, and now God sends a messenger from heaven that comes down and chops the tree off and all that's left is a stump. Nebuchadnezzar is nothing but a stump. And Daniel tells him, this is what's gonna happen to you, boss, unless you humble yourself before almighty God and you acknowledge God's sovereign control over your life and over your kingdom. And it gets worse, <laughs> The metaphor changes. He goes from a stump to a wild animal. He said, and furthermore, you're going to be like a wild animal. You're going to be crazed. You're going to be temporarily insane. You're going to be swept up in a mental illness and go around like a wild animal for a time. Uh, By the way, if you've got an NIV study Bible, the footnote says this is a perfect description of a mental illness we know today as boanthropy. Now, now you may never have to deliver a message like this to your boss. Some of you are thinking, oh, I would love to. (laughs) But there will be times when some honest feedback would be immensely helpful. You know, when your boss needs to hear from you about customer complaints or your boss needs to hear from you that something they've said has been misinterpreted and now it's creating a problem, a morale problem on the team. Or your boss may need to hear the concerns that you have for a project that is not going well. You need to amplify those those concerns. So how do you offer honest feedback? 
I see three great tips in Daniel's example here. First, don't be a chronic complainer. Okay, there, there may be times when constructive criticism is called for, but don't, don't become the person known as the constant naysayer. You know, the, the one who always sees things differently from the boss. Boss says left, you say right. Boss says up, you say, say down. Boss says let's go for it, you say well, let's not. Nobody likes a chronic complainer. And when we look at Daniel, we see a guy working for a king who is a tyrant, who rules with an iron fist. No doubt there were an endless number of things that Daniel could have criticized with regard to Nebuchadnezzar's policies or decisions or leadership style, but he didn't. You know, it was this time when he's given a message by God that he's faithful to deliver it, and maybe, maybe there's something for us to learn here. Maybe the next time we're tempted to give unsolicited feedback to the boss, we should first pray and say, God, is this gonna be helpful? Is this really what you want me to say? Here, here's a second tip. First is don't be a chronic, chronic complainer. Second is offer solutions. Offer solutions. Every boss faces a ginormous amount of negativity every day. Every day. And so even honest feedback can come across as, well, here's one more thing that's broken. <laughs> here's one more thing spinning out of control. Here's one more thing that's got people grumbling that's going to cost me lost sleep unless, unless the person who's delivering that feedback also offers solutions. You know, go back to Daniel 4, drop down to verse 26. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Come on, boss, just acknowledge that God's in charge, okay? Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel doesn't simply tell Nebuchadnezzar what he's doing wrong. He encourages the king to humble himself before God to show kindness to the people he's been oppressing. These two basic solutions are offered out of a desire to see Nebuchadnezzar prosper. What a great example. You know, always accompany your honest feedback to your boss with some, some practical solutions and an assurance that you want your boss to succeed. Never walk into your boss's office with a problem and fail to bring solutions, potential solutions with you. Always bring the solutions as well. Third tip for offering honest feedback, expect results over time. Emphasis here on over time. What kind of results did Daniel get from his honest feedback to Nebuchadnezzar? Immediately? The king blew him off. In fact, the king actually got cockier. You know, drop down to verse 26. Excuse me, verse 29. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Wow. So Daniel's honest feedback did absolutely no good, right? 
Might as well have saved his breath. Should have kept his mouth shut and just waited for a change of administration, the possibility of a new boss. Well, in the short run, that's true. But in the long run, here's what what happened. If you read the rest of the story, everything bad that Daniel said would happen if Nebuchadnezzar didn't turn around happened. And, And one day, Nebuchadnezzar's wandering around mentally insane like a wild animal and he remembers Daniel's advice and he gets on his knees and he humbles himself before Almighty God and God restores his sanity and restores his kingdom. So when you offer honest feedback to your boss following the guidelines we just learned from Daniel, you you may not get the immediate results you're, you're hoping for. Your boss may turn a deaf ear to your input. Don't sulk. Don't badmouth your boss. Don't become passive aggressive resisting their leadership. Don't stop doing a really good job for your boss. Just entrust your boss to God. Ask God to work in your boss's life. And maybe one day, maybe one day your boss like Nebuchadnezzar will want to know more about the God you follow. Wow. Let's pray together. As we bow before Almighty God, I want to give you just a minute here to pray for your boss. Okay, whatever God puts on your heart, you know, to pray, intercede for your boss right now, right? 60 seconds to do that, and then we'll continue on. As you're praying for your boss, one of the things we said bosses need, you know, they need loyalty expressed through positive compliments, praise. Here's what you're doing doing right, boss. Here's what I appreciate about you. What's one thing you could say to your boss this week along those lines? How could you put some wind in your boss's sail? God, I want to pray for us as we close. I want to pray that uh, in our workplaces this week, we start gaining that reputation as the person who's got a God connection, the person who listens empathetically, the person who offers to pray, the person who shares genuine concern, the person who works hard, lets the boss know I'm in your corner. God, in, in some cases, that's going to take quite a quite a bit of your help because we work for uh, people a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar, tyrants. Some of us have pretty difficult situations that we step back into. So give us grace, give us perseverance, give us love. Help us to remember that you loved us when we were defiant, rebellious sinners walking away. You reached out to us in love. Help us to show that same kind of love to others around us, especially the people we work with, in Jesus' name, amen.